Hi, I'm Jennifer Isabella. And I'm Srividya Sridharan. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. Today, we're joined by principal analysts Lisa Gately and John Arnold to discuss lifecycle revenue marketing and its potential to transform frontline B2B marketing. Welcome both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So... I think it might be an understatement to say there's been a bit of change in the B2B buying process in the last few years, but we know that these changes are impacting how B2B marketing teams should operate. So it would be really helpful to kind of scene set here. Can you talk about some of those specific changes that are warranting a new approach to frontline marketing today? Yeah, Forrester started you know, closely following changing buyer behavior in 2019 and writing research about the impact on marketing. Now, by late 2020, buyer behavior was really wreaking havoc on B2B marketing results, and namely in the marketing functions closest to growth and pipeline and revenue. And by 2022, addressing changing buyer behaviors had become a top B2B marketing priority. And when we asked about priorities in our global marketing survey, that's what buyers, uh, B2B marketers were telling us. And so at that point, we made a prediction. And we said that persistent digital engagement is going to become the norm and 70% of marketers are going to be adopting always on digital engagement strategies. But 75% of those efforts to create automated personalized engagement are not going to meet ROI goals because of inadequate buyer insight. And the source of that is a lot of things around the behaviors that we're seeing. So here are some of the examples of you know, buyer behavior that have hit in this inflection point. Um, the first one is really the relationship between privacy and buyers having access to more information than ever. So buyers really expect to be left alone and, until they're ready to engage with sales. And in one survey, we actually found that the top three reasons why buyers were unwilling to share contact information is that they don't want salespeople reaching out to them. They're not ready for that yet. Um, the second one is they don't want to receive emails from the provider. And the third one is that they don't want their contact information being used for any marketing purposes. So that really kind of cuts the legs out from under marketing and sales uh, when buyers want to behave that way. And another important insight is that the buying group, you know, the, the group of decision makers, champions, influencers, users, the ratifiers that are involved in a business decision is becoming a lot more fragmented. So the average buying group now considers three vendors and that consideration involves four different departments and eight different people, four of whom are outside the company. These are analysts and vendors, partners, agencies. And this is a big revelation for the relationship between sales and marketing. In B2B organizations, you know, because traditionally, marketing provides leads to sales. And sales doesn't want to talk to anyone who isn't the decision maker or at least a major influencer. And yet there are four or five or six more people in the buying group who are no less important to the overall decision, but they're very unlikely to engage with sales or fill out a form or raise their hand, so to speak. So they're simply staying anonymous throughout the entire journey. And it's begging the question, you know, who drives the engagement for all of those parts of the buying group? So John, just to dig in to one of the pieces you, you just noted there, is it safe to assume that based on the number of individuals in, involved in the buying process, that it's just taking longer these days as well. 
Yeah, in in our research, we did find a couple of things. Um, interestingly, the buying process is becoming sort of simultaneously more complicated, but also a little bit more streamlined. And the the key point there is that yes, it's it's more complicated. There are more departments and more people involved, uh, and there's more interaction points. But buyers are also getting better at buying, especially in certain categories. So there's Procurement is a bigger part of the deal, and they're professional buyers. They know how to buy. Um, and when we asked what were the major causes of stalled or extended purchases, uh, 66% of marketing decision makers agreed that buyers and customers are taking longer to commit to a purchase than they did the prior year. And the one of the main reasons for that is what they called my organization's purchasing process. So... Uh, you know, marketers have traditionally thought about their marketing process in terms of the sales process. You know, we have sales stages, and uh, those are those are sort of internal things that we try to use to to guide the sales process. But it doesn't consider the buyer's process, and the buyer's process is actually the one that we want to reflect in the sales and marketing motion. And when my organization's purchasing process is the major cause of a stalled or extended purchase, it's usually because there's a disconnect between the go-to-market motion, the sales and marketing motion, and the buyer's motion. So this sounds to me like the perfect storm. You know, more buyers expecting to be left alone. They're reluctant to share information. The buying process is taking longer. But we've seen some of these factors as a continuation of trends, you know, for some time now. And um, can, can you maybe dig into what does this mean for frontline marketers, for demand and, a demand and ABM teams, field marketing teams, customer marketing teams? What's holding them back from responding to these pretty disruptive changes in the in the buyer process? You're right. These are changes that have been going on for a while. And, and what's changed really is that it's reached an inflection point and these changes are really here to stay. And as our research on this trend continued, we found that it was really the frontline marketing functions that were hitting a wall. And even though frontline marketers have access to more advanced technologies and new processes than ever before for engaging buyers, they really we found that they lack a holistic strategy and an approach to bring it all together and to continue to drive growth across the entire customer lifecycle in the face of all these changes. And so the, the frontline marketing function, these are the ones who are most accountable to revenue along with sales. Typically, these are demand or account-based marketing or field marketing or customer marketing. And they're the most impacted by these changes. And even though they're prioritizing addressing changing buyer behaviors, they've hit this wall not because they don't have the technology or the data or the marketing skills, but because they're weighed down. And they're weighed down by internal obstacles like silos or you know the inability to uh, develop a complete view of the customer or because they're marginalized by their remit to be the provider of leads to the low-bearing sales force, or their focus on acquisition only instead of being empowered to engage this new breed of digital buyer and deliver great experiences that sales can capitalize on in acquisition, upsell, cross-sell, and retention. I'd just like to add, that all of this internal friction, it really leads to an environment where there's some talent waste going on. There's also that competing for resources. You're not able to deliver the full value with, with marketing as far as contributing to customer experience. So a lot of that, as John said, is moving from that inflection point. It's time that we're seeing a lot of marketers, they're taking matters into their own hands and they're leading up to a new approach. 
yeah, what are those changes, Lisa, that, you know, frontline marketers are making or need to make to to adapt to the reality on the ground? Yeah. So what we're seeing is lifecycle revenue marketing is more of an outside-in approach that we're trying to break through those silos. It's really about how these teams work together in extending audience engagement. How are they connecting their programs, whether it's demand or customer engagement? They're really seeing that connect to the full life cycle of rev revenue opportunities. So beyond acquisition, going to retention, cross-sell, upsell. Um, and it, it requires sharing people, the processes, and the tools. So we say that it's more of an emphasis on the alignment. It's not, strictly speaking, organization structure. But when people are working together like this, it really requires greater use and sharing of their audience's profiles, connecting them back to the engagement insights, and developing a lot more adaptive programs across all the channels. Um, and then sharing reporting and metrics so you're a lot more aligned and looking at how are we doing? How do we go forward and be able to react much sooner? so that you move from more trailing or siloed indicators to leading indicators and be able to iterate and adjust for impact sooner. Yeah, Lisa's 100% right. And um, I think probably at this point, it might help our listeners and, and you guys to kind of define this lifecycle revenue marketing piece, which is, you know, this move toward an approach that encompasses that entire life cycles oriented around the customer or the business buyer. And, you know, using that outside in perspective to address the internal processes, because this is not an internal strategy, but it ends up affecting the internal processes. And, and when we say entire life cycle, we mean from you know late sort of pre-acquisition to acquisition all the way through to post-sale, and usually involving you know on one level or another those demand or ABM field marketing, customer marketing roles in any of the marketing roles closest to pipeline and revenue. So Forster coined the term life cycle revenue marketing to describe that holistic strategy because that strategy simply stated involves adopting a life cycle approach and then aligning frontline marketing, engaged audiences, adaptive programs, as Lisa said, across the life cycle to maximize revenue. So it's life cycle revenue marketing. This is a big mindset shift and and you know we started talking about the convergence of demand and ABM, you know, maybe about a year, year or two ago, how does this approach, this new approach of lifecycle revenue marketing accelerate that convergence? How does it build upon it? How, you know, what is the, what's the end game here? I think the convergence of demand and ABM is, is definitely a continuing trend. We see that happening, um, but we also see LRM as the destination for that trend as that trend develops. And in some organizations, LRM will accelerate the pace of that transformation in, say, smaller organizations. For some organizations, the pace may be a bit slower because that kind of changes that we're talking about here are, to some degree, very systemic issues that require a new vision, a new focus, new ways of working, and ultimately, it turns into an evolved culture. So um, these are these are pretty big Big deals, uh, big elephants in the room, if you will. Just add for this mindset shift, you know, if you make it real with talking about demand, ABM, customer marketing, then joining this convergence, it really comes to play with the emphasis on how are you serving your existing customers? How are you giving them the best experience with your organization? What we see is frontline marketers 
looking at how they're more aligned on the ownership, the strategy, and the execution of everything marketing is doing. So there's more coordination on activities. This really is a pull away from previously working in parallel, where you look at the day-to-day of people's activities, whether it's the content, the programs, the measurement, knowing how we're doing and what we're going to do next. You want to pull people out of parallel into a more shared environment. Uh, You get a lot more muscle behind your company's efforts that way. But it's also identifying some shared goals and lining up around KPIs so that you're in much greater alignment. Um, we've, we've talked with some clients who are working toward a lot more transparency and clarity, whether that's in shared dashboards or how are you building narratives, not only for marketing leadership, but also in the ways that your team communicates with sales. And and this seems to be a key point, right? Because, uh, you know, we in the B2B context, we talk a lot about sales and marketing alignment, but uh, Lisa sounds like this is a lot more of the marketing and marketing alignment, uh, you know, within the the frontline teams, um, you know, so how will they have to think about how they configure their functions, their teams uh, in a different way? Yeah, very much so. You pick up on it. it. It is almost like marketers all know this, but some of this is building this alignment, even within marketing, um, because there are so many different approaches or the ways that people work. Um, we, we see this come out in different ways, whether it's perhaps it's looking at your processes and your use of technologies. Uh, the fact is a lot of teams, they, there may be variations and it's coming together to take a look at how do we get the full picture of what we need to do? Um, looking at the technology we have, just an example, are we using the best of what we have? Are we using these things very fully? And do we all have some insights into this so that we're not operating from a different playbook, so to speak, or we're not all planning things uh, out of coordination? Just to follow that, I I talked to one CMO uh, during the study, a CMO of about a a billion and a half dollar company in revenue. And uh, she said something really interesting about this uh, frontline marketer task of, of aligning, you know, in the silos. She said, you know, the, one of the challenges with marketing is that it always has to deal with all kinds of organizational pressures. In fact, marketing often reflects the organizational structure, good or bad. Um, and the organization may be highly matrixed or political or sales driven or product driven or finance driven. Very rarely are B2B organizations truly marketing driven. And so uh, th- that might work just fine if the organizational structure also reflects the buyer's reality and the buyer's world, but very often it doesn't. It, it reflects our internal need for processes or efficiency or uh, revenue growth. And so this isn't really about changing those structures. And that's a task for the C-suite anyway. That's not something that frontline marketers or frontline leaders can control. So the point of alignment isn't really about the organizational construct. That That is what it is. It's really about operating in that environment in a way that can deliver the most value to buyers. Because if that happens in marketing and in sales and in product, then good things will follow from there, like growth. That said, some frontline marketing leaders we talked to are really stepping up and leading from the front and you know, guiding this change or affecting this change, um, even though they're not, they don't own that change. So where would a frontline marketer and demander ABM field or customer marketing team sort of start implementing LRM? Where's a good starting point for, for folks? If you divide the frontline marketing teams and the B2B marketing functions into into thirds, you know, a third of them are sort of 
still stuck in a culture of sales leads or, or pipeline generation, or some of them are even cost centers, not really responsible for revenue, but um, but they're a cost center and costs are always minimized, so they feel very marginalized. They're kind of there for sales. Uh, in the second level of, of maturity, you know, B2B organizations are already forming an outside-in vision and strategy. They're sort of stepping up to the revenue table, if you will, and having conversations around driving more revenue for their organizations and being a little bit more of a peer with sales in the organization in terms of revenue creation. And then the third level is organizations that are really ready to solidify or advance some of these lifecycle revenue marketing strategies. Uh, and they're pretty far down the road with thinking about the full life cycle, uh, thinking about engaged audiences, thinking about a coalition of frontline marketing. Uh, so just kind of w walk through those three levels. You know, at the first level, um, you start a working group or a cross-functional roundtable. We talk to a lot of clients where, you know, just getting the conversation started, starting to craft a vision, uh, discussing the impact of changing buyer behaviors. This is a really important one. Uh, the frontline marketing team is impacted by this, but sales is too. And you know, start to look at that changing buyer behavior and start to quantify and track the impact that that's having on on that frontline marketing team and the whole organization. And you can also just start brainstorming a vision and uh, start with frontline revenue and some of those related teams and get that coalition started. For that middle layer, it's really about you know, pulling together a plan, starting to chart your course, thinking about lifecycle revenue marketing as a destination. And we talk to clients in that level of maturity who are starting to work on a roadmap. They're going to change the vision. They want to change the focus. They're going to put real resources behind things. And there's a strategy for doing that. Um, and also aligning all the inputs and outputs between customers and frontline marketers and the rest of the organization. And then for those more mature organizations really far down the road here, um, they're benchmarking their maturity level. They're thinking about the most impactful areas of opportunity and they're reassessing and charting their progress toward culture change and really making some of this um, institutional learning happen so that every year they're better and better. Yeah, just to build on what John was describing, we looked at this also in a way of what are the key capabilities? You know, to that earlier point, a lot of people will ask, how should I structure my organization? Um, but we really say structure isn't your starting point. It's looking at the capabilities or what you want to do with your teams. What are you trying to achieve? And so with some of the things John was describing, if you peel back and you look underneath that, the capabilities that are really inherent in moving forward, those are some different ways that he suggested. We did some research about what those essential capabilities are. Um, no surprise if you're starting with customer insights. How are teams working together to collect, analyze, and disseminate a lot of their customer survey data or use the actual insights about how the customer experience is affecting their customers so that they're better able to champion customer needs when they go through any of the planning that John described. Everyone is working from that common basis of what's the reality for the customers. Uh, it's also looking at how are they gathering and using signals from buyers and from customers? That's where, if you look at some of the future capabilities, are you able to then look at what do you see from buyers and customers so that you improve the personalization or you're giving everybody in the organization some shared access to that? You can step up to a more global mindset as well. Uh, so 
other capabilities really quickly. We talk about improving the segmentation and account prioritization. Um, some of the strengths coming out of the ABM world that are then shared across these other teams. It's also in how they how teams start looking at the program planning and execution. If they're aligning, whether it's a campaign framework um, or they're looking at the programs in an omni-channel sense. It's also looking at their content engine capabilities, how they can orchestrate journeys and achieve greater personalization that buyers expect, how in working together as a frontline team, are you cultivating those relationships and the workflows with the rest of your organization for all the buyer and customer facing teams? This is again, as you move out of the marketing and marketing alignment, you really have marketing and sales alignment and customer success for that matter. But it's also having a very shared view of performance. You know, I was talking about this earlier in terms of shared dashboards um, and talking with one client it was really important as far as having relationships and building the reporting that's useful to everyone, but also being very clear, not only in what is helpful and useful for your marketing leadership, but how you are developing better narrative, better insights to explain what to do next for everybody on the team. Also in conveying that to sales so that if you imagine some of your sales and customer success teams hearing things from different parts of the group you are that much more unified on what you're trying to achieve. I love what you're saying about dashboards too, Lisa. And I think I know the client that you were talking about and this particular client had uh, pulled up some dashboards where they uh, were able to show the organization that when marketing is, in, is involved in the post-sale, their expansion revenue closes eight times quicker than their acquisition business. And if that wasn't a great reason to put more resources into the post-sale marketing motion, uh, you know, there's, there's, it doesn't get much better than that. So just pointing those marketing resources at something besides acquisition um, is really opening up the opportunities for, for marketing to make an impact in the business. And, you know, frankly, focusing marketing only on acquisition is really leaving money on the table. And that's it. It's, so it's not just a story about efficiency. We, we do care about efficiency, but how do you have greater impact for marketing and sales, the organization overall? So the journey to LRM um, sounds daunting. Um, and and John and Lisa, you were getting uh, a little bit into this about kind of the focus on customer success and retention and, and post-sale. Post Is there anything this year that frontline marketers can, can impact and should be focusing on in their journey to LRM more in the long term? I, I see that in some of the ways we... Talk about yeah. greater use um, across the teams. If you are taking a more consolidated view, as I mentioned about the, your use of technologies, um, we've been talking with some of some of our clients, you know, and, and talking about there is change fatigue. So you're you're right in in this year and this environment. Um, one one client actually tipped us to it's stepping up on some of the communication. It's not just coming up with as John was describing this vision or having a work group. But as you build out so that teams are buying in on this, I, I think there is something to being more purposeful about your communication, not just your regular cadence of QBRs, but really helping people to see how this has greater impact for your customers and for the business. One leader we spoke with said, you know, she really considers communication and transparency her superpower. But at the same time, it was saying, yes, with teams who see how much change lies ahead for them, they'd actually expressed, how are we keeping what's good? 
So I would say for some leaders, it is thinking about where you want to go. And it's thinking about how do you present where this is good opportunity for your team in terms of the accomplishments, their career, but also you're keeping some of the really good things in your culture while you think about moving toward the future. Well, we can uh, want to make sure we emphasize too that the purpose of this life cycle revenue marketing approach is not to fix a bunch of things that are broken necessarily as a first course of action. We want to emphasize that the marketers that we talked to in all of this research were doing a pretty good job, right? They're they're meeting buyer, changing buyer behaviors. They're getting better at technology. Um, you know, this is impacting the digital team. Teams are upskilling. They're they're doing all the right things in some cases. And that's what's causing them to, to realize that these bigger systemic issues are really headwinds that they need to address. And so while those things may seem daunting, um, the reasons for those are now bring, being surfaced by these changing buyer behaviors and all of the advancements in B2B marketing. So this is a big opportunity for those frontline marketers to highlight what's going well and what's working and all of those advancements while still saying, you know, in order for us to move this forward, um, you know, this is our time to change some of the things that have been lingering that are that are big issues and, and use this as a catalyst, as an, as an opportunity, you know, to continue what you're doing and do well at that, but use the, that, those wins, those small wins, those advancing tactics to help tell the story of the bigger changes that are needed and then address those, you know, by priority. And you both will be on stage at B2B Summit North America, right? So, um, and with probably a few other colleagues touching on this topic. So I'd love to just discuss briefly or describe briefly, you know, what your sessions are going to be about and, you know, obviously to help move um, move this forward for, for marketers who are going to be in attendance. I'm very excited about Summit this year. And uh, I'll be introducing Summit attendees to Forrester's new customer-obsessed growth engine for B2B. Um, and that's, uh, while it's not the lifecycle revenue marketing model, it is definitely the overarching big strategy for growth that will include lifecycle revenue marketing. And uh, my other session will be on lifecycle revenue marketing, so the continuation of that customer-obsessed growth strategy um, in frontline marketing. And we've got something a little bit between that as well. Um, so Lori Wisdo, an analyst, a VP and principal analyst in our marketing executive services, will be talking about what lifecycle revenue marketing means for CMOs. So I'm looking forward to that session as well. And that's sort of the, the gap between uh, the bigger B2B strategy, which involves everything that the B2B revenue engine, growth engine, um, and uh, technology is doing and uh, in the CMO suite and then all the way through to that frontline marketing team. Yeah, so continuing from that, John opens up Monday on June 5th. I will be presenting in the afternoon um, or for digital experience. I'm talking about the seven capabilities that you need to power lifecycle revenue marketing teams. So going through each of those capabilities and getting very practical about some of the antidotes, what we see from marketers who are evolving their capabilities, their collaboration, how they're trying to drive change, what's involved with that. Um, 
also another session that same afternoon. Kelvin Gee and Nora Conklin will be talking about the effects of LRM on demand and ABM, both in looking at adaptive programs. So really great examples from them. Things roll into Tuesday. Malachi Threadgill will be talking about the revenue marketing platform. So great technology insights from Malachi that'll continue throughout Monday, Tuesday, or if you're catching the, the event on digital, lots to see. Awesome. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. My pleasure. If you like what you heard today, check out our agenda for Forrester's B2B Summit North America, which includes over 100 analyst-led sessions filled with insights to drive B2B marketing, sales, and product success. Learn more at forcom slash summit23. That's F-O-R-R dot com slash summit23. Thanks for listening.